Well, good morning and uh, welcome to 2023 and welcome to The Good Father. We're doing a, a new series today uh, based on the what's badly called the prodigal son. And the reason it's bad is because it's not just about the prodigal son, it's about the whole family. And uh, really the, the principal character is the good father. Um, I don't know if you've uh, read the uh, the book, um, the birth order book, have you by, by Dr. Kevin Lehman. Do you know this? This book, it, uh, it, it tells you why you are the way you are, and it has to do a lot with family of origin. And according to uh, Dr. Lehman, it's based on uh, where you are in birth order. So the, 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 if you're the first or the middle or a, one of the middles or the last or an only, that experience determines who you will be for the rest of your life. Um, has anyone been, has anyone looked at this before? It's, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. Uh, and I think maybe, uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman actually based it on, um, the prodigal son. I think, uh, this, this text, I think might be where he got some of his ideas. The only concern I have about it is that, um, I looked up what he said about only children, uh, because I'm an only child. And he says that, uh, that, that only children, uh, think of themselves as the center of the universe. And I was like, I'm like the most selfless person I know. That, that, can't, that can't possibly be right. It is true that everyone should be paying attention to me all the time. That, that makes sense. Uh, but the reason, of course, is because uh, I had all of my parents' attention growing up. Uh, I didn't have to, to divide it with others. And there were all, the, all the presents under the Christmas tree were for me. So. But uh, uh, he, he has some interesting things to say about uh, older brothers and little brothers, or older sisters and little sisters. He says that um, that firstborns tend to be uh, more uh, like loyal, mature, reliable, responsible. Uh, that's like the, that's kind of a trait if you're a if you're a firstborn. If you're a, a, a lastborn, you tend to be a little more carefree, a little more creative, um, maybe a little more irresponsible. So I don't know what he says about middle children because I didn't really care. Uh, but some of us are probably middle, middle children. I don't know. He probably has something to say about you. You're a, you can you Randy. You're a middle child. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, have no idea, man. Sorry, I can't tell you why you are the way you are. Got to go read the book. Uh, but let's take a look. Let's take a look at this text, Luke 15, and uh, just in the back of your mind, be thinking about uh, the the difference between uh, the older brother and the little brother. Jesus is talking to uh, a bunch of Pharisees, so um, they, they're they very skeptical about his way of doing things. And, and so he tells them this parable to uh, describe the way that God loves. And he says, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them, the older and the younger son. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. Uh, that's the only place, by the way, in the New Testament where it uses the word that sometimes gets uh, translated dis, dis, uh, dissolute. Uh, extravagant living like, like just really partying out of his mind. Um, and, and you'll see that at the end when uh, the older brother's like, uh, he wasted all of his money on prostitutes, okay? So when we're talking about living it up, he was really living it up. So when he'd re- uh, used up his resources, a, a severe food shortage or a famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So what does he do? He hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food and I'm starving to death. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your laborers, your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And before the, notice, before he can get out the whole bit about like, just take me on as a hired hand, the father interrupts. Father is like, goes to the servants, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached, he's working, right? He's working, and he hears the party. Uh, He approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants, asked what's going on. The servant said, your brother has arrived. Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf uh, because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older brother was furious. He didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And his father said, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive He was lost and is found. So you can see this text isn't really about the prodigal son. I mean, it is the prodigal son, the one who goes off and and parties. It is about him, but it's also about the older brother. And and in this this series today, we're going to be looking at the little brother. Next week, we're going to be looking at the older brother. And and then finally, we'll look at the good father. And the reason we're doing that is because um, there's a... The older and the, and, the, and the younger son both have a problem with idolatry. They both have a problem with loving something more than God. And we might have those problems too. And so let's take a look, a little closer look at the text. Um, father, give me my share of the inheritance. The father divided his estate between them. Whoa! Uh, this may not, I mean, you have to think. Okay, so obviously the father is a pretty wealthy man. And he, like um, most wealthy people in this day and age, was a farmer or a rancher or a little bit of both. And so you have to think what it means for the son to come up to him and say, give me my share of the inheritance. Typically, younger children in the ancient world had less inheritance than older ones. But it sounds like, in this case, the father was very generous and had uh, an equal share for both younger and older son. But what's he going to have to do in order to say yes to the son's request? Well, he's got his two choices. One, he could sell off half of his land. Or the other possibility is he could essentially mortgage it and get a loan for its value and hand it to his son. Now, either way, that is a really, really big ask. And in that culture, an extremely disrespectful one. I think it's probably still, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we have any. Do I have an inheritance? It's probably pretty small. 
So I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have an experience here, but I imagine that if I had a huge inheritance, if I asked for, ha- for it now, I, I think that would probably be pretty disrespectful. Um, but it's actually worse in the ancient world because, um, he's, he's telling his, his dad, not only are you, I'm going to take this money, I'm leaving this family. The ancient world knows about this. Uh, we have some texts uh, from the, some apocryphal texts, uh, Ben Sirach, for example, which talks about situations like this where a son, you know, demands inheritance before the death of the father. And it's, and it, it's talked about as extremely disrespectful. It's as if the son is saying, I wish you were dead because I want what you have, not you. And, and to make things worse, uh, he takes a trip to a land far away. We find out later that this is a Gentile or pagan land. It's not Israel anymore because he's, or at least it's not a, an, a Jewish city because he's surrounded by pigs, right? Pigs are anathema, horrible to Jewish people. And the fact that he's with them means that what did he really did is he didn't, he went to a land far away to hook up with a foreign, foreign women, right? And, and he's going to be partying with them. Does this remind us of anyone? A younger son? You know, born into lavish luxury, dissatisfied with his position, demands that his family gives him money. He goes to a faraway country and marries a foreign girl who disrespects his family. Marilyn? Harry, come on, Harry, what have you been doing, man? You used to be the cool one. Remember, he was like, went and fought in Afghanistan, was like a war hero. William, of course, very, uh, stays, does the right thing, marries a, a classy Meghan Markle. Harry, wait, which one did, no, Kate, right? I don't, Meghan Markle is the bad one. Right, okay. I haven't watched the new Netflix documentary yet. On, uh, on, on Harry and Meghan. Um, but isn't that interesting? Isn't, isn't it interesting that there, there's some, some very serious parallels here? And, and now after the, uh, I read that after this documentary on Netflix came out, and now William and Harry are even more at odds. Like, William is super mad. Um, because apparently in this documentary, um, Meghan and Harry accuse the royal family of racism um, towards her. And they, they've, like, cut off. So I think he's now... Like, not a member of the royal family. Like, he's left, but he still gets a bunch of money from them, which sounds like a great deal. Uh, but wow. What, what an interesting move for, for Harry to make. And very similar to the one we just saw. And uh, that's kind of the, the, it sort of sums up the little brother idolatry. Uh, that's the first thing in your note sheets. A little brother idolatry, when we disobey and deny our heavenly father to get control and fulfill our desires. And uh, I, I think a lot of us uh, in this culture, in the West now, I think in some ways we kind of sympathize with Harry, even if we think that he's doing the wrong thing. We, we kind of look at what he's doing. It's like, hey, you know, you only live once, right? You might as well just get happy, have fun, right? And so I wonder if maybe we as a community might have problems with some of the similar, similar idolatry where what we're really after is fun. We're really after a good time. The next... Vacation, the next gadget, the next drink, the next steak. Now and here in California and some other states, the next joint. 
And I wonder if also maybe we're obsessed with getting control of our situation, of our resources, so that we can deploy them the way we want. And I wonder if sometimes we put those things before our Heavenly Father. And sometimes we say no to Him so that we can have what we want and do what we want. Let's, let's go back to the text. Let's take a, take a look at what happens next uh, in some detail. A severe food sh- a shortage arose. He began to be in need. This is weird for us because we live in the 21st century West. No one here has ever been truly hungry. Um, it's interesting. They, uh, some sociologists, uh, missionary sociologists, took this text uh, to um, the, so, the post-Soviet Union in the 90s. And, and they introduced it to some people who were studying to become pastors. And they ask them after reading the text what jumped out at them. And uh, for Westerners, we tend to, to jump out the bit where the son goes crazy and then comes back and the father forgives him. For these Russian and Soviet bloc, ex-Soviet bloc uh, seminarians, what they were interested in was the, the famine. They understood how desperate the young man was because they themselves had been through growing up Famine after famine after famine. They, they, they knew what true food insecurity was. And so they actually had a lot of sympathy uh, for the young man. They, they, they were like, wow, you don't know what it's like. And, and it gets worse, right? Because not only is he in need, he's, he's not only just uh, hungry and hungry in a very deep way, he's surrounded by pigs. And again, that doesn't you know, mean a whole lot to us because we love bacon. Um, but, but the people that Jesus was talking to didn't. It was unclean. It was filthy. And the fact that he's feeding the pigs means that he's gone from being, you know, the son of a, of a wealthy estate owner now to below, not even a hired laborer. He's at the very bottom of the, the social pecking order. You can't get any lower than where he is. How do we know? Because no one gave him anything. Uh, notice that. No one gave him anything. The ancient world uh, did not have social welfare states. In fact, those were invented pretty much in the uh, mid-19th century. What the world knew uh, up until the 1850s-ish uh, was Captain John Smith. I got a picture of him here. Um, this was after he fell in love with Pocahontas in the Disney movie, um, which they say uh, may not actually have happened. Um, so if you thought that John Smith and Pocahontas were in love, they probably weren't. Anyway, uh, when John Smith got to the New World, he, uh, he took over Jamestown. And the, the reason he had to do this was because the, the, the settlers who had come over, the colonizers who had come over, they, uh, were, they believed that the New World was just loaded with gold. And so what they were expecting to do was like land the ship and then walk down the beach and pick up gold. And as a result, they didn't feel the need to do any work because they figured, well, if I find a lot of gold, I'll be fine. And uh, John Smith is famous for taking, uh, I think it's from what, Romans maybe? Uh, the, the whole bit about if you don't work, you won't eat. Right? That's what he, he told people. He's like, you, you don't hustle, no food for you. And that can maybe sounds a little harsh to some of us because we're like, hey, there's people who are in bad situations. You know, okay, sure, if you're just lazy, that, that might be an, an issue. But but surely it's the responsibility of the society around to make sure that that no one falls all the way through the cracks. There, there needs to be some kind of safety net. Well, like I said, that's really a 150-year-old experiment, totally novel. 
Um, in fact, in the ancient world, uh, it was considered um, terrible outside of Judaism to give alms. Um, especially in the Roman Empire, uh, some of the Roman philosophers, they said the best thing you can do to someone who's starving is to let them die. If you give them food, if you provide for them, you're just prolonging their misery and they're, and they're dragging everyone else down. What the son remembers is he remembers that, um, that his dad, because he's a faithful Jewish man, is an almsgiver. Um, in fact, the social safety net in the West was really born out of Christian religion. Roman Catholic and Lutheran Protestant religion was the reason that states began to make a social safety net. Because we, uh, in a lot of uh, religious contexts, we, we, we see that, that God is, uh, wants to provide even for the least of these, yes? But that wasn't the case for the young man, little brother. And what, he's, what he realizes as he's sitting there feeding the pigs at the bottom of the social pecking order, worth less than nothing and, and really should probably just be dead to make the world a better place. When he's, when he's there, he remembers what it's like to be home with a family. He remembers what it's like to be in a place where no one goes hungry because the rules, the laws of Israel prevent it. And so we see that the, the, the major mistake the young man makes is, yeah, he probably shouldn't have wasted all of his money, but the really, the really big thing, the thing that really set him on the wrong path was going away, was leaving the family. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. The little brother idolatry starts by leaving the family of God, ends with hitting rock bottom. There's a lot of reasons that people leave uh, the family of God, leave the church. We, we, I mean, little C church. Um, but they, they, you know, take a break. Um, go, go find something else. Go look for something different, better. And I think especially um, for the, the younger folks here, those of you in the uh, you know, below 21 range, one of the biggest things that one of the biggest reasons that your parents have you here today is because we're deeply worried that you're going to make the biggest mistake of your life by leaving the family of God. Doesn't mean you're not still family. You can be the biggest black sheep in the world. You're still family. But what we have here is, is designed to keep you safe. It's to protect you. And if you get into little brother idolatry thinking, what's going to happen is you're like, I, it's probably better out there. Look at all the fun they're having. I'm tired of the leader guy telling me who I am in Christ. I would much rather find out who I really am. Maybe my friends can tell me. Maybe the internet can tell me. What we know, <laughs> and you don't, is that when you walk away, you are really putting yourself in danger of crashing and burning in the worst possible way. 
And so I beg you, young people, stick with us. Okay, maybe, you know, we don't have Xbox at youth group. Okay, we suck. I get it. Fine, go to a place with Xbox. No, don't. You know what? That's nonsense. Go stay here with the people who really love you, who want the best for you. Stick with it. If you go away to school, find a place that's like this, where people will love you and care for you and guide you and nurture you. The risks are really big. So the, the little brother, he hits rock bottom. He's, oh, by the way, that is a question for all of us with children. What, what are we doing to set the standard, the goal, and, and to help our kids not walk away? Right? What kind of examples are we setting? What kind of like strategies are we? Do we have a plan to be like, I want my kids to love Jesus, not whatever else is out there? Because if we don't, we're not. We shouldn't be surprised when they leave. That's a, another sermon, but um, it, it is incumbent on us to be intentional as parents. And just because you're a grandparent or a great grandparent, your kids are successful. Mike and Sue, they made it. Okay, good. But you're not off the hook. Okay, you've still got grandkids and you've got all the other kids here. And, and that's, a, that's a real responsibility for us. So Dennis, Sally, Jack, Sue, you're not off the hook yet. Not until you die. Until then, we're on it together as a team. All right. Let's go back. Let's see, let's see what the, the little brother does uh, when he realizes he's hit rock bottom. He says, I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired hands. In one sense, this is a really beautiful sentiment, right? He's recognized that he's made a huge mistake. But in another sense, isn't it interesting? He's got this plan. He's not, he doesn't, he's not going to go back and say, I've, I've, I'm falling on your mercy. Please be merciful to me. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to come back and be like, I messed up. So let me, uh, let me earn your trust back. Let me earn my food. I have a friend who uh, grew up around, uh, do you know Robert Schuller and the Crystal Cathedral? I have a picture here of Robert Schuller and the Crystal Cathedral. Um, I think I've driven by this, this, this church. It's huge. It's like made out of glass. Um, after Robert Schuller died, he died at like 88. I think now they, they sold this church to the Roman Catholics. I think it's now a Catholic uh, church. Is that true? Yeah. Um, I, I knew this guy who grew up. Um, he wasn't uh, directly the son of Robert Schuller, but his best friend growing up was one of Robert Schuller's like grandsons, I think. And, uh, and as a result, he was in circles with just a, just a load, uh, loads of money and a total lack of any kind of accountability. And so this guy, he talks about growing up and, you know, he's there every week on Sunday, uh, doing the church thing. As soon as, as soon as church is over, man, he was smoking weed. He was like getting into trouble, breaking things. Uh, he did literally did the prodigal thing where he took his trust fund and he just drained it and he went and he lived hard. And he talks about how the best thing that ever happened to him 
was when he ran out of the money uh, because he couldn't afford to do the things that were killing him. And so now it's, it's interesting. He has this very kind of, I think, in some ways, a twisted view of spirituality where he's like, what he's doing now is he's trying to be good, right? So now he has a job and he's working and he's providing for his family. And as a result, he's hoping, he's hoping that God will bless him. God have favor on him. Like that's his strategy. And I, I mean, he's a great dude. Totally love him. Awesome guy. Good dad. Like, but isn't it interesting that here's a guy who's around the church, around Christians for his whole life. And when he hits rock bottom, what he thinks is now, now what I need to do is, is earn it back. I need, to, I need to do something. I need to work to show God that I'm worthy of his love. It's the next thing in your note sheets. It's the last bit of little brother idolatry. It's when we as people try to earn God's favor back. And, and there's something noble about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that um, what the prodigal son should have done is just, you know, been like, feed me, father. I, I think it's really noble that, that he was trying. But I also think, I also think there's, an, there, there, there's a reason why the his father cuts him off, right? He's like, he's like, you don't understand, son. You're always going to be my boy. Like, there's nothing you could do. I don't care who you slept with. I don't care what you ate. You're always going to be my boy. You're not ever going to be someone I pay to work for me. You're not ever going to be a hired hand. You were always going to be my son. And you have to recognize that. You have to understand what it means to be loved by me. Being loved by me means never, there's no quitting on this. You're a black sheep, but you're still family. And that will never, ever, ever change. And if you maybe are, are caught up or attracted to little brother idolatry, maybe the part of it that's, that, that, that hooks you the most is you feel like if you just get it together, then you can get God's favor back. But the good news of Jesus is that you never lost it. God's favor is set on you from eternity and it will never, ever be taken away. So let's look at it just briefly because uh, we're going to get to the father in a couple of weeks. But, but look just briefly at his response when uh, the son comes back. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. Uh, compassion, it, it's, a, it's a gut word and, and, and Luke uses it quite a bit. Uh, Jesus is a very compassionate in the Gospel of Luke. But what's, what's going on here, right, is that the, the father is looking out, and what does he see? He can tell it's his son because he's grown up with him, but he can see immediately that his son is starving to death, has no shoes, is hobbling. And, and like any good father, this immediately shifts uh, his emotion, his, his, his affect. 
immediately when he sees his son, his beloved son, looking like that, his guts just spill over. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Of course, a kiss in the, in the ancient world, is, it's a sign, of, it's a sign of, of mutuality. The kiss is, is, is saying, you, you, it's like you never left. Shalom, you're at peace now because, I'm, because you're back with me. Back with dad. And so if you're a little brother, know that God's not going to treat you the way you deserve. This last thing in your note sheets, God treats little brother idolatry not with scorn, which it deserves. Yes, we deserve it, but with forgiving love. Because you've always been, once you've believed you are God's son, you are God's daughter, and that will never change matter how far you run away. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have the love of a father for us. And God, we confess that we do set idols before you. We do want to go out and, and have fun and be in control of our own destiny. We want to leave your family. We want to go do it on our own. And we do, and we have. But God, we thank you that even when we come back and we're trying to earn your favor, that it's already there, that you've just never stopped loving, never stopped being merciful. God, may our prodigal hearts be turned to you. May you wrap us in your forgiving love. May we rest knowing that you're always going to be our dad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.